Hello, my good friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar. This is The Informed Catholic. So, uh, the last episode, episode 54, we I gave you a, um, as best as I could, um, kind of like an introduction, not exactly the best introduction, but an introduction to uh, the catechesis I want to do on the study of God. And... Um, it it was a start. Now we're going to go to who and what is God. I mean, technically, it's almost the same thing, but it's sort of like the title. But the, like I said, the problem is in, I think, our modern Catholic Church is that I think the catechism program just follows a usual, typical formula and earlier this couple of months ago it was very interesting during the um heading towards i guess you can say the easter uh heading towards easter there was um i had an opportunity to sit inside my parish church and i saw what looks like the catechesis program for the youth for the teenagers and you'll remember in one of the episodes where I saw they were all standing by the altar and it was some nuns there. And, you know, one of the girls didn't want, they, a lot of them didn't want to take take off their masks. They didn't want to take off their masks. They didn't want their faces to be seen. And one of them I caught just a little bit to one side, a young lady. She literally... Inside the church, inside the basilica, standing behind one of the kids, trying to give the middle finger. Yeah. And that said to me that this was a failure. It, it was a failure. It's the same old usual formulas. It's the same old usual thing. Just get them, get them baptized, get them confirmed. Uh, and the par- they're doing it because their parents want want them to do it. They didn't want they didn't want to take off the mask because they didn't want anybody to recognize them. It's not that they were afraid of COVID. You know, the young people are not afraid of the COVID. At least, not all of them. And. It said to me, will this kid ever come back into the church again? Will she just get caught up with something else? Will she wind up becoming a Marxist? Will she wind up uh, getting pregnant at a wedlock? Will religion mean anything? Will she wind up becoming a Protestant? You know, join a, uh, a, a charismatic movement? Or will she... Just never, just stop believing, just not caring, not caring about God. Any of those things are possible. She could even wind up coming back to the faith. There's always that possibility too. But will it happen? Any of the other possibilities are possible, you know? And, and I'm saying is that 
because we are living in an aggressive secular world. And we've lost a lot of numbers. You've heard of everything before in the past. We lost a lot of numbers ever since the reforms of Vatican II. Before that, we had a lot of numbers. They always say that. And then, but at the same time, like Michael Vora said, you can't, you can't say that things weren't, uh, all these changes weren't happening even before the reforms. Modernism was going to affect the church one way or another. And modernism is not just about numbers. It's about ideas. It's about destroying the sacred. And that's the problem. And the first place we have to start, in my view, is the reality of God. Who and what is God? So this is where we have to focus on it. The first part of the creed, we went through it, um, right? I believe in God, the Father Almighty. That's the first line of the Apostles' Creed. And it's pretty much the same thing in the Nessing Creed that we have on Sundays, that we say on Sundays, the longer version, also known as the Athanasian Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he arose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and he and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. It's repeated twice, the Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Life everlasting. Amen. All right. We're going to pull out the first line. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, but we're not going to focus on the Father because that's for another podcast. We're going to focus on God the Almighty. This one here is the only attribute, characteristic, divine quality, nature of God that if that ex, it expresses all the others. I said in the last podcast that there are 15 recognized attributes. Well, this is what scholars have done, but the truth is there's far more. Because uh, I began to look at it a little carefully and I saw, like, for example, they left out love. Remember, John himself tells us in the scriptures that God is love. Right? There's also a quality of God that God is absolute true beauty. That's another one we're going to focus on later on. But the Almighty pretty much encompasses and opens, uh, all the others are in there. All the others are in the term almighty. Almighty as all-powerful. Okay? I mean, he is all-powerful. Nothing is impossible for God, as the scripture tells us that. All thing, God, with God, all things are possible. Jesus says that in the Gospels. 
um, I am God the Almighty who, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, right? That's pretty much it. Um, there's all kinds of, you know, everything is in there. All the attributes, the divine quality and nature of God's are all in there, his characteristics. And sometimes some of them may sound kind of like, would you say, the same as the other. They're all basically complement each other and almost say the same thing. But we should look into them. All right. Um, so, like I said in the past po podcast, we I started off with sort of an introduction of the whole thing. Um, and like I said, when we look into uh, studying uh, catechism um, in Catholic Christian catechism and theology, when we speak of all the attributes, we are speaking of his perfection, his qualities as belonging to his divine nature. Okay, that's true. Okay. Uh, so yeah, in the last podcast, I started rather clumsy, but at least we started, right? So his attributes speak of his character, his qualities, uh, and attributes are basic qualities that belong to his divine nature. Let's remember that. Okay, so let's start with the Almighty again. As I said, we're going to use the Apostles, the first line of the Apostles' Creed, and we're just going to focus on God Almighty. And it's the only attribute that the I said is the Apostles' Creed pretty much uh, presents us with, Almighty. And that's, again, it's an attribute and a perfection. It expresses everything about him. Okay? So, now, uh, as I said, we are going to focus on these qualities of his divine nature. Almighty says it all. He is God Almighty. All right? He is the source of all creation the source of the cosmos, all life, the entire universe, all reality. Okay, the reality we live in comes from him. He's the one who created it. He's the one who molded it, put it together. He is the one who put all the atoms together that gave, gives us substance that gives us gravity, all right, that gives us light, all right, he is the perfecter of it, he is the source of it, it's, you gotta, like, really understand this, all this, this didn't come together by accident, as much as some of these, um, physicists, uh, try to say that, it's impossible, you can't say that all this is by chance. You can't say you are by chance. I am by chance. You can't say the elephant that, that roams the, uh, the, the wilds of Africa, the, the, the prairies and valleys of Africa. The, you can't say the gorilla 
The silverback gorilla is by chance. You can't say the whales, the great sea creatures are by chance. You can't look at the canyons of the West and say they're by chance. You can't say... You look at these images that they have in movies when they give you this beautiful uh, photographic landscape. The mountains and everything is by chance an accident. This is... This is in every way, when it comes to these professors, this is not their science speaking. This is their own ideology, their own, when they say it's chance, this is their own ego, their pride. They're not willing to, to, to express humility because the concept and the idea that there is an intelligence greater than theirs hits their ego, their pride, and they want—they don't want to admit that there's a God, and that there's something that beyond their comprehension. They can't put him in the test tube. They can't put him in in anything. No, so he is the source of all that we have around us. Okay, he is the. The cause of all causes, the mover of all movers, the source of all matter, the source of light, the source, the creator of the sun and moon, the stars, the one who set the, 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 the world into motion, the source of all motion. Okay. The one who cannot be influenced who is not, who is uncreated. He has no past. He has no future. He's always here now, present with us. The past, the present, and the future is all one to him. Okay? This is, you know, yeah, he is the great God, the good God. All right? The Muslims are right when they say, Allahu Akbar, God is great. They're right when they say, La ilaha illallah, there is no God but God. In Judaism, Yea, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the Lord our God. They also have another uh, prayer. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation all right you know that's this is this is it and i think in many cases one has to really and sit down the best way to 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 really let this hit home is that is think about the fact that at one time you did not exist there was no you there was no me. Think of yourself. That you, that I, meaning you, at one point did not exist. All right? You could say your parents, you could think that, but no, even your parents, who brought your parents into existence? 
who brought your life into existence? Where did you come from? <clears throat> okay? There, were, there was a time your story was not told. Your story is just still being told. All right? And there's a time, think about it, where you and me and we know and, and everybody's lost somebody. Your parents or maybe a sister or a brother stopped exist, existing. You have their, you, you remember them. But everybody's lost somebody. And one day, you, you and I will not be here. It's not a pretty thought. Nobody wants to think about it. But this is, you're going to have to ask yourself, how did we get here? Who brought us here? Every single name, every single individual has their source. Their, our, our existence comes from him. Jeremiah has a line uh, where God says, I knew you. Before you were created in the womb, I molded you, I made you. One of the Psalms say, you, you, may, you know, I'm wonderfully and terribly made. Okay. St. Paul said to the Athenians, the philosophers, in him, we move and have our being. So we should really think of it. It hits more at home when we think about our own existence, our own story. And then we can connect by realizing everybody has their source in him. And then it starts to hit more clearly when you realize the blue sky that every day you looked at a thousand, ten thousand years ago, more, someone else was looking at that sky. And thousands upon thousands of years ago, someone else was looking at those stars and the moon. The night, same night sky that you and I look at, someone else was looking at. The same moon that you and I are looking at, someone else was looking at. That moon was up, is up there. My great, my grandfather, my father, my grandfather, my great grandfather, and my great, great, great grandfather and grandmothers all looked at the same moon and same stars, all breathed the same air all walked under the same sky. It's 
you know, it's something you sh- we should all think about once in a while. And it's something that we should all take seriously. So, everything has a beginning. The world has a beginning. Reality has a source, a beginning in who and what we call God. And our and we will end because we do have an end. We feel it every day. It's coming. Our mortality is a line the ancient Romans used to say. Momento more. Remember your death. Remember your end. They used to say that to the Caesars because the Caesars, they had a, a strange um, habit of making themselves into gods. Uh, rulers, uh, people who think they're smarter. This is uh, their ego, their pride, their their fear of their mortality, their fear of not being remembered. And so they make themselves into gods. They think that maybe because they were blessed with the oldest power and authority, it makes them into God. It's, it's one of those unfortunate things that happen, but it's stupid because they die too. They die as well. And as much as death should be feared, once you have faith, as we're going to find out, we know that we're in God's hands. There's nothing to be afraid of except the fact that you have to prepare yourself. You have to ask yourself, why God brought me into existence? What is the purpose of me coming into existence? And this is important questions, and we should all ask them. So, let's move on um, to the next one. We, I think, covered this, and we're going to go back to it. We're going to find out that a lot of these attributes sometimes force us to go back and look look back at the other one. They kind of connect, like connect the dots theology here. It's important. These things are important. So, you know, we may be moving on from the term almighty, but we're going to wind up going back and revisiting it again because the other attributes are going to make us question. They kind of, they don't just, one sheds the light in the other, the other one sheds light back at the other one. So we're going to, we're going to learn that along the way. So, this, um, big attribute like you can say the first step that opens the door it kind of like sprouts other qualities characteristic qualities that we need to know um the first one that he is he is the only one god he is the only god some you're going to find this that this unfortunately um with other religions, it contradicts other religions as it should. There should be contradictions and there should be, we should um, embrace it. Um, Christianity, you're going to hear, of course, the Trinity. It doesn't mean we believe in three gods. We do not believe in three gods. Okay? You're going to hear some people say things like this who think they're smart, but they don't. The Trinity is a mystery. Um... The Jewish people believe only in one God. And 
our Christian faith is born out of Judaism. Christianity is a Jewish uh, religion. Uh, Jesus was Jewish. His mother, Mary, was Jewish. The apostles were Jewish. His stepfather, St. Joseph, was Jewish. St. Paul was Jewish. Um, you had Mary Magdalene. She's Jewish. John the Baptist was Jewish. Our faith comes from Judaism. It is a Jewish, it, it is a an offshoot of the Jewish religion. Now, Islam also believes that there's only one God. You have, Many of you have Muslim friends. I'm sure I come from a Muslim background. I'm a convert to, to, uh, to Catholicism. And Islam believes that there is no God but God. La ilaha illallah. Okay? Okay, Islam also says Allahu Akbar, meaning God is great, God is almighty. So, yes, we believe there's only one God. The beginning in the Ten Commandments, the, the God gives to Moses, I am God Almighty. You shall not have other gods before me. You should not make for yourselves pagan idols, images. Of course, we're going to go into that at another time, what he means by that. But yes, so there's only one God. And we don't believe in what, what is called polytheism. Um, many gods, like the ancient pagans, like the Egyptians believed in many gods. Um, the Greeks believed in many gods. The Romans embraced the idea of many gods. Uh, you'll see that in Hinduism, they have thousands upon thousands of different gods. And that's a very complicated religion. Uh, I, you know, we'll talk about it another time. You'll find that the, uh, there are many, many out there that believe that the, the all watch the Marvel movies, uh, like Thor. He's a, a, a Norse god. He comes from a family of different gods. The same thing. Now, usually what happens is that this idea sprouts the idea from one god. Notice that you have Odin, you have Zeus, you have Osiris or uh, other gods. It's supposed to be the chief god. All right, the chief god. And then there, and there are below him other gods. And they're all, in a sense, almost attributes, really, when you think about it, you know, or some kind of attributed part of nature. Like they have lightning, the sun, the moon, the stars. Uh, one is in charge of the ocean. One is in charge of the trees. One is in charge of the water or the animal. And then there's also like subdivision ones, like creeks or something and it's you know it's interesting but you see that and in a sense it's almost like a puzzle that shapes one god but human beings because of their imagination assumed it and then you know if you read the lord of the rings token in his similarian he has the one god he calls him aru alivatar and then he assigns the angelic beings to Middle Earth, meaning the Earth, and they, and they each one, 
guards and protects something of nature that the one God protect uh, created. So, in a sense, it goes back to one God who is the source of everything. All right, so um, there's also um, we went from polytheism that we, we were saying that our Christian faith does not believe in many gods, but others can believe in it. There's also another idea. This is very, very common among New Agers. It's called Manichaeism. I know it's a funny name. And what happened, it's a noisy morning. St. Augustine, the great, the great um, church father, and he wrote the Confessions. He, in his early years, yes, even saints in their uh, early years have a past, a scandalous past. He rejected Catholicism. Believe it or not, it happens. There even a saint like him, and he joined the cult of Manichaeism, where you today it takes the image of something called the yin and the yang. There's the positive and there's the negative. It's a very new agey thing. And the idea behind it is that there's a balance in the universe. And that in itself is ridiculous and stupid. Because if you're really going to believe that, you're going to find yourself really sort of like going crazy trying to balance things. Um, but yeah, the idea behind it and I think when if you look into other other these other religions that have this sort of thing like Buddhism or some other form of uh, Asiatic belief, you'll find out it's not exactly the way Westerners interpret it, right? It's not exactly because there's a lot of Westerners they hijack and they they appropriate. That's a very fancy, famous word. They appropriate these things from these other religions like yoga or um buddhism they hijack a lot of stuff different forms of buddhism and they sort of like mold it twist it and make it a little bit more western oh you can get a lot of these hipsters are into that you see them they sort of like wear all these symbols and they got all these beads in their arms and everything it's like a very hipster thing but they it's really a corruption of asiatic beliefs so once we look into it a little bit more, we find out it's not exactly the way they're being presented by hipsters. And by hipsters, I mean a lot of of Westerners who sort of like play with these uh, Eastern Asiatic beliefs. You know, they, they claim they study them, but once you look, you realize it's more of a corruption and it becomes a trend in the West. It's always been that way. They, we, you're going to get people running after other other things from other countries because they have, you know, exotic or they're really making a business out of it. You know, basically they're, they're, they're abusing it and they're making money. They're pretending that they, they're experts and they're not. You know, Buddhism has become very, very... Uh, popular among uh, white Westerners and other um, exotic Asiatic beliefs, which I think some, which are very much misrepresented and abused uh, deliberately, I think. But like I said, that's one idea. It was very popular. And since Christianity came from the East, 
it is itself a Eastern religion because it comes to Judaism as an Eastern religion, just like Islam is. Um, but, like I said, we only believe in one God. And uh, everything else, technically, uh, all the, we don't believe in many gods. We don't have that belief. All right. So, now we're going to move on to... Okay, now here is something. God is true. That's the next one. This is um, actually number... This is number... I'm sorry, this is number three. Number three. We just did number two where God is one. We did the Almighty and we did God is one. So now we're looking into God is true. Why is God true? This is important. Let's look into it. Now... This one, the third one here, is God is true. Doesn't sound like an attribute, but in reality, um, we we have a great desire for truth. This is something that is written in us human beings. We are made in the image and likeness of God. He designed us um, in many ways as his children. It doesn't make us gods, but the desire for truth, because God is the only true God. He is truth itself. One of the Ten Commandments, the line of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not lie. And... God is not a lie. God is truth. All right, as we're going to see later on, there's other, other, other um, attributes of, about God. So he is God, the Almighty. He is the only God, and he is the the Almighty, only true God. Okay, he's perfect. He really does exist. He's not a, um, a product of our imagination, not uh, a product of our fears or desires. God is true. And all this, all this pretty much reflects in our desire to seek the truth. To know the truth. Whether it's something to do with the sciences. Whether it's something to do like say with philosophy. Whether it's something to do with even uh, morality. Some personal moral thing. Um, a, a moral um, defect within ourselves. To uncover the truth even when it hurts. Even when it hurts, when we discover something in our family tree or something in our parents' past, we have a desire to want it. We have a desire to expose it. And sometimes it affects us in the wrong way, right? When we want to cover what we feel is a destructive uh, uh, 
a product of ourselves. We, it affects us, you know, in a negative way where we want to hide the truth, but either way, it's the truth. It's not a defect in himself. God, there's no defects in God. This defect is only in ourselves because when we break away from God and when we break away from God, we, we allow ourselves to be encompassed by fear, doubts, shame. It's called sin. All right, which we inherited from our parents because of their own pro, um, their own mistake when they disobeyed God, we were cut off from the light. We were come off, cut off from His grace, from His life, and this is going to lead us to another part, basically another another attribute of God. You know, like I said, so He really exists. He's not of our imagination, not a product of our of our fears or desires. God is true. And this truth, this attribute of God, he gave, he gave, he gave us as a quality of himself in, in us to be creatures that want the truth. When you live your life in God, when you live with God in your life, you have a desire to want to know the truth and live in the truth. This is something, and this is something that has to be practiced, not something that happens overnight. Okay, because we have a lot of defects. Concupiscence is another name for it. And when we live apart from God, we have a power, a problem of of have of having defect defective qualities in ourselves. So the next one, the fourth one is the living God. He is life. He is the source who he whose um, God, whose life is his very own. That's another thing. He's not dependent on anything keeping him alive. He's not dependent on our belief to keep him alive. Like in that show, American Gods, where their product of their existence comes from the human imagination that feeds their existence. No. He exists whether we believe in him or not. He does not live off food. He does not live off any cosmic energy. He does not eat a fruit like in some some um, comic book imaginations that they it keeps him strong and alive. He doesn't need to sleep like Odin goes into an Odin sleep or something. Uh, or Zeus has to take a nap. No, he's not. He doesn't need to recharge. He doesn't need to go on a vacation. He doesn't need any of that stuff. All of it, he is complete and whole in himself. He doesn't need anything else. He does not need anything. He's not dependent on anything or anyone to keep him alive. He is life. All source of life come from him. Like it says in the Gospel of John. In him is the light, and this light is the light of men, the light of all people. All right. And that's it. He doesn't need he doesn't need that. So that's why he's God Almighty. That's why he's the only one God. That's why he's the true God. And now he's the living God. He's also that. This is you know, you know, it's it all like I said, it all connects. When you look at it, it almost sounds redundant.
But what it does is it's a step for us to understand. This is the only way for us. We use human language to try to understand who God is. And this is, you know, is one of them. Okay. His, um, his life is his very own. He is the very essence, you know, his, his very essence is not dependable, uh, on anyone or anything. He is being itself. He is life whose inward activity is identical with his nature. He's complete and perfect in himself. All right. He doesn't need anything to keep him alive. He doesn't need anything to maintain his nature to keep it perfect. He is perfection itself. So that's one. So that's, that's another one there where we've, we've uh, pretty much uh, have, bog, have, uh, have pinned down to try to understand God. That's, that was uh, the fourth attribute you could say. There's actually, it's not, doesn't have to be 15. There's so many, many more, but we're going to, this is, this is a start for us. Moving on. He is the eternal God. God is eternal. He has no past and he has no future. He is always here now present. All past and future is one and the same. Everything is present to him. This is important. There's an, um, I wish I knew the Psalm itself, but in the show, The Chosen, you have the character of Matthew talking to Philip. And Philip is, you know, Matthew wants to learn more about scripture. He wants to go back in memorizing scripture, which it shouldn't be very hard for Matthew. Uh, but I think the problem when it comes to memorizing scripture, if you don't love God, if you don't have a hunger for God, it's going to be very hard to memorize anything. I mean, you know, if you love numbers, you're going to know, you're going to know everything about numbers. If you love poetry and art, you're going to know everything about poetry and art. If you love history, you're going to memorize history very easily. So you have to love something. As, as as the old saying goes, in order to know something, you have to know something in order to love it. It goes back and forth. There's no way around it, right? So the passage goes like this. If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Now, Matthew, of course, he's a little, he's autistic and uh, he might be, they, they decided to put him on the spectrum in the show meaning that he's got some, uh, let's say, qualities about him that make him different, not in a bad way, but in a good way. And he also makes it very difficult for him to get along with people. I believe a lot of the great scientists in the world might have had that. Uh, even I would think that someone like Sherlock Holmes, because he's very good at wanting to know information to solve a case. But when it comes to uh, a good relationship with people, he's terrible at it. He has no be good bedside manners, as they say. So he had to really go into it with Matthew to explain to him, if I send to the heavens, you are there. Meaning no height of intellect. All right. No 
philosophy, no education could separate you from God. He's always there in your highest education and in your pride, uh, in your success. Even if you don't think of him, he's there. We see this in politicians. We see this in emperors. We see this in professors. The more they, they have, the more they distance themselves from God. Money, power, all the power of the world is not going to stop God from being, from, from, from God, stop you from being close to God. Even though when you want to run away from him, you can't. And he, then the next, the next line, if I make my depths in show, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. In other words, even in my misery, in my deepest sins, even if I've fallen from grace in my alcoholism, in, in my alcoholism, in my drug abuse, in my sexual immorality, in my depression, in my madness, God is still there with me. I can't run away from him. Even, I think the Psalm goes, even in the deepest depths of the ocean, I cannot run away from you. See what I'm saying? So God is eternal. God has no past and he has no future. He is always here now present. All past and future is one and the same present to him. Uh, there's, there's only now here now for, for, with, for God. For him, he does not need time. Time has its source in him. Without him, there is no time. We are the ones who have to live in a, in, in a, in a structured universe. He made time for us here and there for us. A beginning. Remember I said, there's a time we didn't exist and, and there's a time we do exist and then we go through a process and that process is time and we have mortality, we get old, all right? And there is an end to us, but even that end does not mean that we are separated from him. No, he's going to be with us even when we're separated, you know, when we, when we, when we, when we break away from this life. But also it depends on how how we lived our relationship with him here in this life. So you see, this is, you know, he's eternal. He's eternal. He's forever. Um, you know, we created by him. Human beings live in time. We have a past and we have an end. So this is important. This is important for us to understand. This is a good a good start for us. So in a sense, it goes back with being him the almighty and it goes back with him being the one god and it goes back to him being uh the the you know the the true god the living god and now we know he's the eternal god it all pretty much it's like a flower opening up more 
sprouting another flower within the flower. We're getting to know God. All right, let's move on from there. Now we're moving to the sixth one. God is immense. Again, it doesn't really sound like like an attribute, right? Because eternal uh, sounds pretty much, you know, covers that. But but in reality, remember, we're using human language. So God is immense. God is beyond all measurement. He encompasses everything. But he, God, can never be encompassed or overshadowed by any creature. No creature, no intellect can surpass him. It pretty much covers what we said before the quotes before. If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. All right. If I make my bed in the depths of hell, you are there. So at the same time, you know, Solomon said, even the heavens themselves cannot contain you, cannot, cannot hold him. So he is above and beyond his own, cre his own creation. Beyond the universe and reality, he cannot be contained by this universe and reality. All right. He can't be. He cannot be contained. Because once this universe ceases to exist, he does not cease to exist. All right? He does not cease. To, he's not dependent on this universe. He's not dependent on this reality to exist, to be God. So everything even like you know you hear people when they talk about evolution and the, the six day creation i don't think any of that really matters i don't think it really matters i think it matters uh how we interpret genesis i think the important part about even for an evolution something has to like we said is the source of the cause and the source of the moving and the and the source of the result of the cause and the moving he is the source of it he is the source of it you know that's the way i look at it someone put it into motion someone made it someone placed it within this reality and someone made it made it move gave it the nature and characteristics and qualities to be what it is so evolution itself cannot create itself if there is such a thing as an evolution if we want to call it evolution all right from i don't see a problem in in creatures adapting to an environment that changes. Okay, I don't see that problem. And I think for for some Christians or uh, evangelical uh, Bible believers or even uh, Protestants or Catholics, it's silly to argue over it. I myself do believe in a literal Adam and Eve. I do believe that 
that Adam and Eve existed. Um, how those six days came about, I believe, yeah, they're a literal six days, but do they really have to be within the literal six days? No, because the way I read Genesis, the sun and moon and stars didn't come in existence until the fourth day. So I don't think it's necessary to believe in a literal six days, but I do believe literally in Adam and Eve, and I believe literally in a six days in a metaphorical interpretive sense. It can be that too. I could be wrong, but my salvation is not dependent on it. I'm not saying that God can't create it within six days. I believe he can create it in six nanoseconds. That's what I'm saying. In a sense, it's not dependent. My salvation is not dependent on that. It's not dependent. You're not dependent on it. Six days, six nanoseconds. He's God. And he is immense. Okay, nothing can encompass him. No reality can encompass him. This is important for us to understand. It goes back for him being almighty. It goes back to him being the only one true God. And there are no many gods. And there's no yin and yang God. There's no God of light and God of darkness. It doesn't exist. There's only one God. And again, he is the eternal God. He is the true God. All these things, you see, force us to go back and acknowledge the others again. And this is great. I think it's beautiful when we do this. And I think when we look at it and we ponder it, you're going to relate it to yourself. Realize how, how you came to be and how at one point you were not here and how some point in the future you will you know, your, your time will end here. Realize this and realize, think about everybody around you, you love and everything, you know, realize that realize how everything you love, the people you love. And, and, and then you will see the value of believing in God. Because God himself gave you all this. He gave you your family. He gave you your life. He gave you your home. He gave you everything. And how it's important for you to be great, to have gratitude for what he has given you. And even you didn't ask for this life. You didn't ask for it. You didn't earn it. He gave it to you. And then you begin to realize how the gratitude you have and how much you want your family members, your friends to have gratitude for the life they have. That's, that's, that's how, that, that's how you come to relationship with God. All right, let's move on. This one is number seven in incomprehensible. God has no limits. God is not confined in manner of body 
or created spirit. It doesn't sound like it's much different than immense. God is beyond all measurement. He encompasses everything, but he is God he is God and can never be encompassed or overshadowed. It doesn't really sound much different, but you have to understand it from a perspective of humility and pride, I think. Um, I mean, the next one is not going to sound much different as well. It sounds like we're regurgitating the same uh, attribute, but let's really look at it. I mean, since my conversion, you know, and I love apologetics. I wish I could be better at it, but, uh, but when you think about it, I've met so many people with nasty pride who really hate religion, who really seem to have a strong hostility towards it. And this particular hostility, hostility, nasty hostility, to, uh, what's it called? Maybe I should say pride afterward, but... Um, kills charity, kills love. What I mean by charity, it means divine love, godly love. And it also affects how they, they, they treat their fellow man and everything. It's like there's a hostility towards the fact of what they can and cannot do. There's a hostility towards the, what they feel, anything that overshadows or challenges their intellect. It, it, it attacks their vanity. Pride. E ego is their vanity. That's very important to them. And you see this in, in a lot of people, especially I noticed this is like with these um, Marxists, these um, atheists, these um, I mean, you meet them, you meet them and you will meet them in college. You will meet them in the art world. You will meet them, um, in a lot of different places, but many, many cases, in many cases, they tend to, um, revolve around the art and intellectual world and, uh, the social justice world. They're very bitter, angry people. And they cannot, we'll use the word, comprehend the fact that there is a God. Or it, they do in their heart, they do, because it's a psychological thing. That it cannot, they cannot confine God, they cannot limit God, and that God is beyond their intellect and their understanding. And no matter what they can do, no matter what... So uh, they can do in society what they can do in the government. What they can do, they can sh they can try to change any, destroy any moral boundaries. God is still above and beyond it, and they can't that 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 this cannot stop them. In many ways, when we're getting here, is less intellectual and more dealing with psychological uh, and pride. You know, the fact that. Morality bothers people. Morality protects you. It protects the people you love. 
It protects what's precious to you, your child, your little sister, your little niece. It protects your grandma and grandpa. The fact that everybody wants their parents uh, to be okay. They want their, their mom and dad to be safe. They want their family members who could have some some um, physical difficulties and challenges. They, they want them to be safe. That's morality. That's love. But there's some people out there that think that the weakest people should die. That the weakest, the elderly, if they are no longer used, should die. That a child with a defect should die. There are people like that. It's hard to understand it, but there are people like that who believe this. This is where you realize um, mercy, where Jesus talks about mercy. Where Jesus talks about if you know to you know you know if you cause the le- the any of these little ones. The other day, my mom and I read this in uh, in the Magnificat. Uh, causes any of these little, little ones who believe in me to sin. It is better that a millstone be tied around his neck and be dropped in the deepest ocean. Think about it. He didn't. That doesn't point to a king. It doesn't point to a governor. It doesn't point because those because those people will most likely be the ones to make to to do that to do that to you. But how many little ones now are being corrupted, indoctrinated with LGBT? The other day I saw a young kid. He's probably eighteen years old right now. Esmond Edmund the Amazing, I think his name is. He was a little boy, 11 years old, who was dressed in drag. And he was paraded on Good Morning America. And then there was a video where it showed him, because people said that he looked like he was high. He he made a, a gesture like you put cocaine on your on the back of your hand and you sniff it, as you see some people do. He did that on live Twitter with a drag queen sitting next to him. He had these ridiculous eyelashes, a rainbow eyelashes. The boy is being used. He's most likely being exploited sexually. How would he know how to do that unless he saw other people do that? This is what I'm saying. That people don't like limits to their morality. They don't like limits of what they cannot cannot do. This is when we talk about the incomprehension of God, that he is beyond any understanding. This is where morality has to come in. Mercy, love, this is also God. We're going to go through them. But you see what I'm saying, why there's hostility towards religion, because it's about their conscience, their, their, their their shameless conscience and the shamelessness that they've been living this is why inco- you know, God is incomprehensible towards those who live in darkness, to those who, who, who run away from the light. It says that, you know, the, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness could not overshadow it or comprehend it because light is powerful. Light 
is, is, you know, this is why we're made in the image and likeness of God. We, the human eye gravitates towards the light. It's just, it cannot be explained because we're made in the image and likeness of God. We, we need God. I mean, I know this one here is kind of like, like I said, is it regurgitates, but it's important that we go through it. This was number seven, incomprehensible. Again, there are no limits to God. God cannot be contained. He cannot be confined. He has no body. But as we know in Christianity, he also does have a body. You know, the incarnation. Um, he's not a created spirit. He is pure spirit. We're going to find that out. All right, let's move on. Next one. God is infinite. It's number eight. It's not much difference, really, when you look at uh, infinite, incomprehensible, immense, eternal. Yeah, but it, it it's a step in the direction. It's a step in the direction um, of our relationship with him and understanding this. God has no limits. Well, God is beyond all measurement. We saw that in immense. God has no limits. We saw this word again in incomprehensible. This line is the same thing. God is beyond. We saw that immense. All the cosmos, creation, cannot contain him. We saw that. No mind can understand or comprehend him. He is above all. He is above all perfection and has no absolute fullness of being. This is more, it's not so much, I think, for someone who believes in God, but I think it's someone who uh, is, is so, it's not even, I think, intellectual. It's not someone, it's not even intellectual. This is more towards geared, I believe, towards the pride and vanity of men, of human beings. Those who think that their wisdom, that their wisdom, that they don't have to be humble. Who think they're wise in their own eyes. Woe unto those who are think who are their wise in their own eyes. We've seen them. Like I said, I mentioned those people who are intellectual intellectually prideful, intellectually vain, intellectually arrogant, who who think they're above mercy, who think they're above charity, who think they don't have to bend the knee. This is not this is not for the believer. I think the believer understands these things, understands them, and accepts them. Okay? I mean, in, in, in pretty much, this, I got this all from the pocket catechism. Some of it, I think, also I've uh, sort of brushed up a little bit because I wanted to expand it a little bit more. And when I began to look at it, I thought, wow, this pretty much sounds the same as the other attribute. And it's true, it does. But I think we're going to get to the hardest ones when uh, you'll see.
but like I said, it's it's pretty much it's pretty much the same as the others. But he is above his perfection. He is absolute fullness of being, and that's true. So yeah, infinite. He is beyond. He is beyond all comprehension. He is beyond reality. He is beyond anything. His own, he is above his reality, his creation. The next one um, is number nine. Unique. He is God. He, God, has no equal. There is no other God. It sounds pretty much he is like the one God. Again, it's true. There is no other God. You cannot you cannot create another God. There is no there is no equal to him. Again, this is something I think the, mo the those who believe in God and love God understand this. Even the the humblest peasant understand this, but this is more for the prideful. Like I said, it, it gears towards them, those who are learned and can make a pagan idol out of their own intellect. Spirit. Yes, God is pure spirit. He has no body. We, we've kind of like touched upon this in the other uh, attributes. No dimension to him. He is a pure spiritual being. He is a true, he is truly a personal God. No new age energy. He's not a he's not some yin and yang energy. He is God. He's not chi. Uh chi. He's uh he is truly God. God who will who can know uh on a God who you and I can know on a true personal basis. We can have a true relationship. This I think is where the intellectual pride and vanity comes in. And I think it frightens them. It does. I think it. Can, I think it can. I think who like um, the Marxists, the the atheists. It scares them and it bothers them. Those who ha those who who put their their hopes and and dreams in in power here on earth. This scares them. It scares them. It scares the idea that God is someone who who knows us and we can know him, it scares them. They don't want that. They don't want a God like that. They don't want to be accountable to a God like that. But it, this is it. Okay, so he is pure spirit. And by this, I think the most important part for those who believe is we can have a relationship with him. He, we can have a relationship with him. All right, this is important. He's closer to us than our, than our own breath. There's, I think, uh, a line, I don't know if it comes from Muslims, God is closer to you than the vein in your own neck. <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty fantastic. I mean, you can also say closer to us than the blood flowing in our veins or closer to us than our own heartbeat. Pretty amazing. And then this part here is kind of like a little funny, but it's 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 uh, it's there. God is simple, meaning that there is nothing complicated about Him. Think about it. This is really something. He's incomprehensible. He is immense, right? And then He's also simple. Kind of a contradiction, 
maybe. But this is definitely true. There's no, there's no, there's no, uh, he's not complicated. He's truly God. He's, he's truly God. He's, he's spirit. He's truly God. And then he's unchangeable, which again sounds almost like a regurgitation. But again, God cannot and does not need to evolve. You see, there are, I think, a group called the Baha'i. I think they're followers that came out of Iran, of uh, kind of a came out of Shiaism, Iran, Iran, and they they actually do believe in a evolving uh, revelation evolving uh religion and that's they're they're pretty much almost like new age they're an interesting group but i'm not going to get into them right now no and there are people in the intellectual world there are a lot of catholics in the social justice world there are catholics and christians protestants in a progressive world who have a progressive view of christianity Whoever progressive view even about God, that God needs to change. And the answer to that is no, he does not need to change. He does not need to change at all. There's no need for God to change. All right, so let's move on from there. Okay. Um, transcendent. We're almost near the end here. Again, if we can say he's immense, he's incomprehensible. He is, um, he's, no, he's, uh, incomprehensible. He's infinite. He's eternal. I guess this is, again, it sounds like regurgitating here. This, this whole thing, we're repeating ourselves. Transcendent. He surpasses all understanding. This is again for the intellectual. This is practically offensive to them. He's distinct. He's distinct in himself. Like, again, unique and transcendent. He's beyond intellectual understanding. This is more for them than it is for the, for the believer. Okay, that was, that was uh, number 18. And then God is happiness. God is joy. It doesn't sound like an attribute, but it's true. I mean, how many people have you met who don't have God in their lives? And a lot of them tend to be very depressed and unhappy people. I'm not saying there can't be the possibility of a happy atheist. But but honestly, I've, I haven't really met that many. I haven't met any of them. I can't say that at all, really. I haven't met any. But God is perfect joy and happiness. That's uh, number uh, hold on here. Yeah, it's like number uh, 15. Yeah, we're getting close to the end here. It's this is I, I've actually outlined 18 myself. So he's perfect happiness. He does not need anyone to make him happy. He's happy in himself. He's perfect within himself. Number um, here, this is number, 
16, actually, sublime, meaning God is beauty. He is perfect beauty. He is the highest form of beauty. Okay, nothing can compare to his beauty because he is God. He's totally beautiful. He's all-knowing, omniscient. He knows everything. He's beyond all intellect. He's beyond all understanding. He understands everything. He doesn't need to improve his intellect. He knows everything. But also, this is important. He is merciful. Okay? God is mercy. You know, I can't, you know, uh, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. This is important because showing mercy is, is showing that you have a relationship with God. And then the last one, which is, I think, the very important one, God is love. God is love. God is good. God is merciful. God is love. This is difficult for the prideful, for the vain. This is very important. This, this is difficult for them. Because the more highly intellectual they become, the less merciful they become. They, be, they have contempt for their fellow human being. God is love. Mercy, love, all these things, beauty. All these things are important. These are important qualities of God. So these are, I put down at least 18. And there's probably more out there. You know, I mean, he's omnipresent. You know, I mean, he's everywhere. But he's everywhere. He can be here. He can be there. He's everywhere. This is, again, hard for the intellectual to accept. But this is all the attributes of God. This is all about God. And this is, I think, not so hard for the believer. But for the unbeliever, for the intellectually prideful, it is hard. All right. So we went through this. And you know, we're going to visit it again a little bit more to try to understand Thomas Aquinas, what he's saying here, what and other, the Catholic Church is trying to teach us, what the Church Fathers teaching us. These things are important. These are these are definitely important. I mean, uh, the most greatest line I heard, I liked it. I wish I could find it. It's um, someone asks Augustine, what did God do before time if there was no time? And Augustine report, reported, nothing. He didn't need time. You see, he understands it. He gets it. He got it. St. Augustine got it. And so did many church fathers understood that. All this, basically, the hardest thing, I think, is for those who are intellectually prideful. It's very hard for them to accept something they cannot wrap their minds around or comprehend. They cannot put in a bottle. It's no different than a dictator who has everything he needs. Think about it. Someone who is so mired in sin, so mired in their own sinful nature, and who are filled with hate with everything, everyone around them, you think honestly they're going to want to? They're going to like that idea that there's a moral God? No. They're going to reject him and they're going to run away because they don't. They they like their pleasures. They like their sin. An alcoholic. Is, doesn't want to admit that he is an alcoholic. 
It's God. You know, God, you know, it, it bothers them. It bothers them that they have to give up something. Their, your alcoholism is your pagan God. Even for someone like myself who is overweight or a glutton, my pig is my pagan idol. Uh, money is a pagan God. Um, all the other things in the world, for a lot of people, vanity, beauty, fashion, power, politics is a pagan God. All right? Your intellectual pride, your university status, your fame, that's your pagan God. Your po the power you hold over people's lives is a pagan God. All this stuff about God, the attributes of God, makes us question ourselves. It should not, it's not a, it, sh it should make you question yourself humbly. And God is love, is humbling. God is mercy, merciful, is humbling. God is true, is humbling. Incomprehensible, infinite. It, it should make you humbling. It should make you humble yourself. The living God. All these things that we went through. Eternal, immense, incomprehensible, infinite. Almighty. Humbles you. And it challenges you. But it's for some people, it's hard. Alright, I'm going to end it here. Alright, we're going to... We'll say a Hail Mary... And in our Father. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. All right. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I'll try to get back with something else. Um, this is a first step. It's a first step, so it's a start. But I'm glad, I'm glad I was able to do it with you guys. And it's true. A lot of them may seem to regurgitate. You're repeating the same thing. I keep using that word. I shouldn't. But you're repeating this, You're repeating yourself. But it's not. When you look at it, it's about putting it up against pride and vanity, I think. And I looked at it and I said, this doesn't sound much different than this. This sounds pretty much the same as that. Eternal and infinite sounds the same. Immense and incomprehensible, right, sounds like the same thing. But... When you look at it, it's really not for the believer. It's so much more for the intellectual who needs to who needs to look at this. And when you look at this, like the best way to understand when you come to the reality of God is compare it, look, reflect yourself. Realize how much, you know, you how much gratitude you have to have for God, for what he's given you and what you have not earned which is your family, your life. All right, let's stop here. God bless.